Hey, it's Zoe, and you're in for so much value today. Jane Anderson is a branding expert, and she dives into some of the great tactics and strategies to how to build your personal brand. And guess what? It's less about the clothes you wear and more about who you serve. Let's do it. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Jane Anderson. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, I've known Jane for a few years now and I've been a huge admirer of her work. She has so much wonderful insights on personal branding. So Jane is a personal branding expert. She has six books out uh, currently published plus one that's co-authored and another one coming out called Catalyst Content. So you are a writing machine, a publishing machine and uh, a prolific producer of content, which is what your book is, your latest book is called Catalyst Content. And um, I'm so excited to dive into your perspective on branding as as a different way of looking at points of view. So welcome, Jane. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Zoe. I feel so lucky to just, how cool is it to just hang out and jump on a podcast? And I just think this is so awesome. So, um, so and to hang out with you, especially. So, yeah, it's been wonderful um, to know you for so long and then to do this. So very, very special. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And I like putting the spotlight on you because you help put the spotlight on others. So it's uh, nice to turn the tables a little bit. <laughs> so where are you on the world right now? Yeah, so I'm in Brisbane, so I'm in my office, but I'm off to Sydney this afternoon, so I'll be speaking at a conference tomorrow. So like you, we're always out and about and on the road, and it is that question of where, and sometimes I have the same question, you know, you wake up and you go, okay, where am I and what am I delivering today? <laughs> so, uh, but no, so it's conference season at the moment, so there's often a few things going on. So yeah, this one's in Sydney tomorrow, so I'm just putting the final touches to it. Lovely. That's fantastic. And what I wanted to dive into was a little bit about exploring points of view and perspective. And you've had an individual journey where you've changed your own perspective on yourself and what you're doing in the world. Can you give us a little bit of, uh, I guess, the highlight, the showreel highlights of the uh, the turning points in your world where you changed how you looked at yourself and what you were doing as an expert and as a professional and as a person? I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, such a great question. Um, and there's so many, so you kind of just, you know, what are the what are the main ones? But I I guess, you know, I, I grew up in country New South Wales. So I, I, you know, grew up with a pretty, you know, just hardworking, you know, middle class family. And where were and, you? Country uh, New South Wales. So they country have a lot New of South rooms. Wales. So yeah, yeah, I grew up in Lismore in northern New South Wales. So um awesome. no, no, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. That's what everybody <laughs> thinks that I did and I didn't. For those um, who didn't understand that <laughs> reference, that was Jane pulling a reefer, like pretending to smoke a joint. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but all my so all my family are in like Lennox Head and Ballinor, and they all live around that area. So, uh, nice. so I still go home occasionally. But you know, growing up, I started off. It was my first job while I was in high school, and uh, I went to work for a company called Mather's Shoes. It was my like my Thursday night and. Saturday morning job uh, but as it turned out and for those who are listening you might have come across the brand Mather's Shoes it's a family business that started off and then it grew and then they sold to an American company and so now it's they sold off but I was uh, I was employed by them when it was owned by Sir Robert Mather's 
So the family, it was a third generation business. So I worked for the Mavers business and then I went on to work for the family. So I worked for them for 12 years. And uh, so, yes, you can be knighted by the Queen for selling shoes. Um, no. And, uh, but <laughs> so they were, it was an incredible experience to work for them. And uh, I spent all up 12 years working for the family. And so Sir Robert, you know, back then and the Mavers family, you know, his wife, Lady Mavers, they had, you know, they had a huge influence on uh, Expo 88 coming to Australia. They were very involved in, you know, a lot, you know, the old 80s style management and leadership, you know, long lunches and all that sort of stuff. That was long before social media or anything like that existed. And so what I learned from working with them was the value of your name uh, your reputation, your contribution to the community. And I love that Jeff Bezos quote where what people say about you when you're not in the room. So I really learnt the value of, of my job was to instill the values of the family and particularly Sir Robert and, and his daughter. So I went on to work for his daughter. My job was to instill the values of the family across the business so that those values were upheld by the team members by the managers and so that created the customer experience in the stores so working for them was probably really significant in terms of I guess how I just operate day to day now then I I did a marketing degree so I worked you know I went to work in large organizations and I ran the training department for super retail groups so super cheap auto BCF gold cross cycles raise outdoors so I was the learning and development manager there for um, about 10,000 people so you, and, you, you studied marketing, but you did learning and development? Yeah, I, I ended up in HR and training. And so I've always sort of ended up, I was a HR advisor in government for some time. Oh my God. Um, so I've always sort of dabbled, be, and it's always come back to communic- like comms. So whether it's internal comms or um, marketing comms, strategic, and essentially strategic comms, so, and building leaders' brands. So I have a, a marketing hat often on and I have a leadership hat. And so I kind of dabble between the two a little bit. And then I left corporate, got divorced. Divorce was a really significant turning point for me. Uh, you know, that was where I had to really reinvent and redefine my purpose and all those parts of you that are your identity and uh, started on the quest of what I really wanted to do. I felt like I had a second chance. So now I got to really start my business I got to do all those types of things and um, by the way that's a lovely reframe (laughs) for divorce um my husband's a divorce lawyer so he helps people get a second chance every day I guess yeah but you know there's so many different ways to interpret the divorce experience and the fact that you've framed it as a second chance to do what I want I think it's fantastic and I have a number of clients who are going through divorce processes right now so that's helpful it's helpful for them to hear that yeah, look, it's an excruciating, painful process because you lose part. The big hit is your identity and who you are. And and uh, so to be able to get the opportunity to reframe and, like I said, go, okay, well, that's one chapter. That's not going to be the end of the book. It's going to be, you know, that's just one chapter. We keep going. <laughs> it's about not letting it define you, allowing it to, I think, um, like Brene Brown says, you know, your story can be either what... Um, uh, kind of, it, it has power over you, or you can use it to empower others. So beautiful. So yeah. I don't envy your husband, though. <laughs> I know, right? So That's we're like opposite ends of the spectrum. 
He's, he helps people at a very different time in their life than, than I do, even though when I'm working with people, sometimes they go through that. Yeah, it's a different kind of work, and he's the perfect guy for it because he's such a logical dude, whereas I, I am, that is not one of my superpowers yeah. <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> oh, well, people really rely on that in tough times. So you know, they do. Right role. <laughs> That's right. It's good to have somebody stoic who can just keep plowing through the choppy waters with you. So, all right, so second chance, off you go. You're starting your own thing. Yeah, second chance. So um, so I thought, right, you know, this is my opportunity because while I was married, I was never allowed to have my business. I, I had to stay in a job. So, of course, as soon as, you know, those papers were through, I'm like, <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, no mucking around because I knew I wanted to have my own business and my own practice since I was about 10. So it always been something I wanted to do. So started and... I didn't have very much money from the divorce, but I, I thought, okay, well, I just need some help to understand things like, you know, like I didn't do, when I did marketing at uni, back then we didn't have, we didn't have SEO and AdWords and all these things because I went into HR and learning and development for some time. You know, I felt like I didn't understand the digital world. So I paid some people to help me. I lost all my money on trying to, to get them to help because I thought I didn't know. And as it turned out, I actually did, but I just didn't trust myself. So as a result, I went and tried to work out, okay, well, how do you, how do you market a business today? Because it's so different than it was back when I worked with the Mavis family. With the, you know, there was no digital back then. And as a result, uh, I started to work on a formula and I thought, I just need to go back to what are the fundamentals of marketing? I did a degree in this thing. Like, <laughs> seriously, you should know. Uh, and uh, so I started to put together a bit of a formula of, okay, well, here are all the things that started to work. And and so as I built my practice, I then other people started to teach other people the formula and the process. And so that's out there. We've got practitioners who are working with experts in their field who are certified in that formula now. And it's a way to help people build their practices and, and businesses uh, when they don't have to spend any money. So well, I'm, let me just insert insert a plug for you here because um, I think it's worth noting that uh, Crystal, my business manager, and I did did your course, uh, Expert to Influencer, well, about a month or so ago. Maybe it's two months. I can't remember. And it was excellent. So yeah, you got your 12 key skills that you need to implement to market your business away you go. And you can sequence it and it doesn't feel overwhelming. It's just like little bite-sized chunks that you can uh, help progress and build your visibility and get some traction and uh, getting new clients to serve. So that's a little my experience with you on the technical side of things. So yeah, good on you for backing yourself and jumping into that and uh, mapping it out for yourself. I can imagine that was that was probably an after losing all your money, trusting other experts and failing, and then to say, well, you have to trust yourself in the end, can't you? You can't just depend on everybody else. I like that pivot point as well. Yeah, so, and not just trusting yourself, but now teaching it. Like, I didn't sort of imagine myself teaching it. That sort of was going, oh, okay, wow, all right, this, and it does actually work. So, yeah, so did that. And then, um, and so now just out working with, uh, so balance of experts in their field. So I've built a personal brand. So particularly if they're operating under their name.com or equally working within organisations and particularly leaders around their leadership presence and personal brand and their communications with that. Uh, so, yeah, now working with both those markets and speaking, writing books, running workshops, all that sort of stuff. 
That's awesome. So I want to talk specifically about leaders and helping them build their presence and their brand. Because in the work that I do, it's all about how I help leaders see from the inside out. So how do they see themselves, how they see others, how they see the world and how they navigate that, which is one perspective. And the way that you work with people is a little bit different. How do you craft a presence that helps people to perceive you? I'm like, wow, that's, I don't really work with leaders on that necessarily. So what kinds of things do you start with when you're helping a leader define their brand and then craft it? Yeah, I think there's one of the things that probably comes up is a lot of people think that, uh, you know, personal brand sounds like something that people need if they've got too much time and money on their hands. Um, <laughs> but the reality is we've all got one, whether we like it or not. It's just whether it's the one that, that you want and is it serving you so like you said there's still a lot of you know that internal work that we have to do we have to look at you know who are you what are you, what drives you what's your vision what's your purpose why are you here um values because values will ultimately create what the behavior is and so that's how people will will see that on the out, outer surface so there's all these things that are often happening but they're happening unconsciously so I've got a sense of a vision. I've got a sense of a purpose. I've, I've got a bit of an idea of my values. And, but what we do is we, it, personal branding in that sense is actually more about conscious choice. So it's looking at it and going, okay, so now that we can see these facets, and I think of it a bit like a diamond, is that you've got all these facets of your personality or your, who you are, your history, uh, where you're from, um, that form your identity, your interests, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so what we have to look at is based on the goals that you're trying to achieve in the next 10 years, 5 years, 12 to 18 months, which facets need to be amplified? So they're still authentic, but it's, it's looking at which are the facets of me that need to be amplified to help me to achieve those goals and which are the facets that are there but maybe I don't have the confidence to bring them up or maybe I need to it could be that oh wow I feel really vulnerable sharing that facet or that side of me so helping people either have the confidence to bring that to light or equally it's about the conscious choice which are the facets that you want and which are the ones that are going to help you get there um so what do you do about this just a question around the facets thing. What about the facets that you don't want to share with people? Yes. <laughs> are people aware of them or are they just like the t- hidden away somewhere? Yeah, look, I, I think about, I think there's facets there, yeah, for a lot of people because they're scared that, you know, I'm, people are going to use it against me if I share my vulnerabilities and things like that. So absolutely. So you don't have to be sharing, you know, you don't have to put yourself out there warts and all. Some do and they're quite comfortable with that. But I I think for leaders, they're trying to balance credibility with it as well. So if I'm trying to balance credibility and confidence in my team and build trust and I'm still trying to be seen as a leader, how far do I go is often the question that comes up. So, yeah, it doesn't have to be all of those facets. And I think what happens is, at least what I've seen, is working out like the amplification So there was a lady that was in a workshop that I ran last week and one of her facets was and the way people perceived her was that she was a team player. And we said, do you agree with that? And she said, absolutely, I I agree with that. But she said, I feel like the word team player and being seen as a team player and that language being used isn't serving me. Because she said, I feel like that I get dumped 
with jobs or tasks within my team that because I'm a team player, people know I'll just do it because I'm seeing the greater good of the team. But she said, I just don't think that that's serving me well. And I think that's actually holding me back from stepping into being a leader. And so he said, well, if you had to amplify that facet, what would be the amplification or the elevation of that language? And we came up with collaboration. So she said, I really want to see myself as a collaborative leader. I partner with people to help them get the best out of them. So, so it was still the balance of how people saw her. It was still her identity, but making a conscious choice about is that the right language to help her to achieve her goals? Yeah, that's wonderful. I, I mean, I think that's a really nice uh, spin or amplification, as you call it, of an attribute which is good in one context and not so good if the brand that you're trying to portray is a little bit more authoritative and wanting to be more respected, I guess, and be seen as a leader. So um, how did you get feedback? Like, how did people get feedback? They just ask people in the room or do you have a process so they can get feedback from their peers? So how does that work? Yeah, there's a few different ways I can do it. But what I did with this particular group is uh, I do an activity. If I've got a really big group and I haven't got a lot of time and we're not doing full 360 online assessments, we can go down that path if people want to. But this activity, what I did was um, I get each person to put their name on a sheet of A4 paper and it gets stuck around the room. And then each person is given a bunch of post-it notes and my question to them is, what is the greatest value that this person brings to work and to the organisation or to you as a team member? And they could put as many post-it notes on there as they like. Some of them, like this group was 35 people in the group, so she had 35 post-it notes to work with. Just on that, it's a really, it's a really powerful exercise. It's quite extraordinary because it's quite often one of the only experiences in people's careers where they may get to see themselves through the eyes of other people it doesn't happen very often so I think it's a really powerful activity to do that's simple so in her case through the 35 she her job was then to sift through the 35 to identify were there any any similarities and then out of those she had to identify three what were the three big standout ones that were still in the language of those people so she couldn't put her language over it Um, So a lot of teamwork came up. Uh, Then she got to make the conscious choice about out of those three. My question to her was, so what's that about? Those three, if you had to choose what those three are, what is that about? And so she said, well, I think it's about being a team player. I, I agree with that. So she put her label on it. But then the question was, so the label that you put on it or the brand that you put on it, how is that serving you? Is that how you want to be seen? And is that going to, so then go back to goals and what you're trying to achieve in the next 12 months. It's an interesting thing, right? So how we show up and the facets we put out to the world is our projection. We can't control how people perceive us, but we can influence it, I guess. So this is the work that you do with branding. So um, you were, I interrupted your process because you didn't tell me what they did next, right? No, that's okay. And um, I don't know if it's helpful, but the question is often, so what do I do with this? Mm, um yeah. now that I've got this word uh and this word by the way is just one facet I mean she got 34 facets <laughs> which is such a gift but making a conscious choice about this particular one so there are a bunch of things about okay now I'm making a conscious choice about which is why I wrote I'm um, writing catalyst content is she's got to think about well okay if I want to be known as a collaborative leader 
now I've got to work out what are the communication channels that I need to use and, and how am I going to explain that to people? How am I going to unpack my expertise and my knowledge? How can I teach other people to be collaborative? If this is my genius, then I've got to start finding ways to make it come to life so that I'm known for that. So uh, we put together a mentor plan. So who is it that you need to spend a bit more time with? Who do you know who is really good at collaboration? And so to bring more of that out in her, uh, so it creates a permission. It's also things like working out how can she contribute to some of the online, like they have an intranet platform. So working out, okay, so how can you, as part of this program, share how you do collaborative leadership? So she's got a blog to write now to put on there. It's reframing LinkedIn profiles. Uh, you know, so all those, so we start to think about touch points. We start to think about where is she visible? Where is she seen? And shifting her then over into what I'm working on at the moment, a side of Catalyst content is the content side of it, making the communication come to life. Uh, but the personal branding program I have for leaders is called Lighthouse Leadership. So we have to go, okay, now that we know this, we've got to make that visible. And so it feels congruent to her, but she's levelling it up. Now we've got to go, okay, well, how do we turn that into the essence of your being? That's just who you are. So it's putting a leadership layer over teamwork, if you like. Mm, I like it. Do the people that you work with have any resistance to this sort of um, personal PR campaign? That's what it feels like a little bit. <laughs> it is a little bit like that. Absolutely. So there's another group I'm working with at the moment and yeah, it's quite vulnerable. Like it really is a vulnerable space to play in because it feels like the spotlight is all on you but as I say to them that's why it's called lighthouse leadership is that it's making you visible but the light is actually shining it on other people so the goal is not you're not shining a light on you it's just you're the vehicle to make it work and so what happens is you're in so much service and we remove the ego so much that the irony of personal branding is ultimately it's not even about you oh wait stop stop that's amazing tease, tease <laughs> that out a little bit so if you're really stepping into the highest version of yourself and this probably comes back to just what i believe in terms of your personal brand if you're really i think a lot of people think a personal brand is you know that i go look at me can me look at me yeah, here's my yeah. <laughs> look you know i'm presenting and here's my social media and, and it's not the case at all is that if you're really going to be a leader we get that if you're in true leadership you're in humility and you're there to serve so it's not about you however your job as a leader is to inspire other people and you can't inspire them if you don't have a sense of who you are and can communicate that because they're following your lead so you've got to be that and you can't sort of sell a secret, I guess. So my thinking is, is that if you can put aside the ego, because it's the ego that's saying, I don't want to put content on my internet platform because people think, who the hell do you think you are? Like, who are you to put that up? What would you know? And uh, you have to put yourself, uh, the ego aside and go, you know what, I'm prepared to cop that. I'm, if people, If that's what people think, if that's what people say, and I get that that's hard because when you're in an organisation, you've got, you know, there's a lot of power dynamics going on and there's fear of, you know, how will this affect my job and what if I, it affects me in promotions and things like that. But if you can put that aside and f 
focus on if I do this, will it be in the service of other people? And I think if you have that mindset with everything you're doing through building your personal brand and not making it about you, then it creates the permission to realise that actually by me doing this allows other people to step up. That's fantastic. I love that um, reframe also around it because I think a lot of people would be like, Ew, I don't want to manage my personal brand. Is that what I'm like about what I'm wearing? Yeah. And part of it is about what you're wearing part too, right? Part of it right? is, but it's only one small part, yeah. It's a small part. So the next question I have is, what are some common traps that people have when they, around their reputation and brand? That they, How can they screw it up, in other words? Uh, how I can screw it up? There's lots of, uh, lots of ways you can do that. Um, I think one of the ways that I, that I see a lot is... Um, it all comes back to, you know, just how you operate as, as a leader and the fundamental basics. Like, you know, thinking about, okay, well, one is making conscious choices about how you run your time. A big part of personal brand is how you manage your productivity and your calendar and your time. And some people don't always make that connection, but I say personal brand is about three things. It's about clarity. So clarity about who you are, communication, getting the communication channel right or channels. And then the third part is control. So brand control is all about how do you lead or how do you manage yourself when things go wrong? Because your most authentic self comes up most when things don't go to plan. That's character and that builds trust. So the things that are around control is, you know, if you're not getting your work done, if you're not reliable, if you're not following through on things that you said that you would, then you're not managing your time well and that's affecting your brand. And that is then affecting the results that you get. That's affecting, you're not able to get promotions. It affects what people say about you. So first and foremost, in my experience, quite often when I deliver a branding program, because I talk about productivity at the end and how you manage your time, is I more often than not often end up selling my productivity program off the back of it. I don't market it, but it comes off the back of it. Because they realise, oh, I just realised I find it really hard to say no to people. Now, you know, I'm not being assertive. I'm being pulled into things I shouldn't be pulled into. I'm in crisis management all the time. I'm working on weekends. I'm working after hours. So all these things are affecting me being able to get things done. And so you can't be known for what you want to be known for if you're not actually getting the work done and getting what you need to get done. Yeah, that makes a, a total amount of sense. And it's funny that you say that it's how you manage when things go wrong is the true story of a leader. And um, I see this play out in some of the work that I do. In the experiential programs that we run, we put people under enormous amount of pressure to see how they problem solve and deal with their peers in that times of crisis. And the flight and fight comes to the fore. And if they don't have self-mastery and composure, they can blow it pretty quick. And I've seen some people not be the best version of themselves in those situations. And those, those are kind of telltale signs like, ooh, that kind of diminishes their professional reputation. So I love that productivity, that nice connection there about being able to deliver what you said you were going to deliver, as well as staying calm under pressure are two contributing factors to, um, to making sure your brand and reputation are rock solid. Yeah, because then people can trust you. And branding's all about trust. So it's trusting a brand. Can I trust? It's like if you're buying Nike runners, you're buying them because you trust Nike. You, you're buying an Apple computer because you trust that if something goes wrong, you'll get looked after. So, um, and of course, you wrote the book Composure, actually. 
Yeah. You? I yeah. Do. <laughs> yeah. So it's all that part is so it's a control of emotions, it's a control of uh, resources, how you manage time, and even team members. Like if things are going on with team members, how you manage feedback. It's around high performance. How do I get them performing to their best? What do I do when because your team members will be affecting your brand? Because if they're going, oh, you know, that's Mary from accounts. Does it who does she report to? oh, somebody needs to do something about her. She doesn't do her job. And so, you know, all those things start to come back on on reputation. So, yeah, I love that, which is I remember uh, being when I was the uh, head of L&D, we had the same thing. We'd put people, send people out with people like you, Zoe, we would, uh, <laughs> who were great at putting them under pressure. And I remember a leader coming back one day who'd been out in the bush and they had, um, it was, I don't know, there were spiders and all sorts of stuff and things going on and, he came back in and he absolutely tore shreds off me for sending him on this program. And I can't believe you put me in that situation and I can't believe, and we had snakes, we had spiders and we had this and we, you know, and I, and I didn't even have coverage on my, uh, what was it, on his uh, sleeping bag and he was just going off his brain and I was like, yes, that's exactly what I wanted him to do <laughs> because it's that insight and by the end of 12 months, and this is why you do such amazing work, is that is the core of that's the only way we can be able to really gauge. Otherwise, it's just noise. Otherwise, it's just content and it's just photos on social media and that's not authentic branding. Authentic branding is all that work you do around composure, under pressure. How do you deal with things when they're not going to plan? So short of doing your program, how would leaders get, um, what kinds of suggestions do you say to help them get insight about their current reputation? Yeah, look, there's really simple things you can do. Like I would, one of the first things I would say to people, you know, if you haven't got access to help is even just jump on either if you're, if you've got a lot of connections or friends online, if it's Facebook or LinkedIn, just ask people, you know, I'm just doing some research. Is there any, like, could you share with me what, what are the values that you think I bring or what am I known for in your eyes or you could ask those questions and you know you'll get a, a variety of responses there'll be things which is part of the insight right like you won't always there'll be things that come through that you didn't expect but I think one of the most valuable things you could do is go to five people who are close to you who you trust who have an insight into you and probably more often than not like they see you regularly or interact with you quite a lot so it's a hard thing for a leader to do sometimes like that's quite a vulnerable thing to even ask people you know what their perception of you is so you know go to those people that you think you can get that information from so yeah even start with five people and just ask them mm, and it is it's a, it's an incredibly powerful thing to do to get uh, to get that insight from others and people are actually when I've had clients do something similar in a different context and ask for insights from their colleagues or friends, and uh, what they're surprised by is how honored the other people feel to be asked yes. to give that. And, yeah. I, and that's what I do to help them reassure them, look, it's going to be good. They're going to feel honored that you're asking them. Like, hmm. And then they're surprised when it's true. Um, it is. It's a genuine honor to be asked to be in service to others. So I've got a client who's been with me for years and has had been on a break for a while and then he's come back and said I'm doing this process asking people about me you've known me for 13 years can we meet and can you tell me about this this and this about me I'm like of course yeah <laughs> I'd be delighted to yeah <laughs> what a gift yeah and it's so lovely to receive it give you a huge insight 
So what next with leaders? So if they are, they're getting insight about themselves from others, and then you've got, you've had some suggestions about how to then put their best facet, amplified facet forward, and then to start uh, being in service through different platforms, what else do they need to know? Uh uh, a big part is influence too. So, you know, because brand is, you know, ultimately that bit's about trust, but then you go, okay, well, uh, like if you think about it, I think there's two things. One is working out who you need to nurture. So working on those networks. So one of the things that I find when working with leaders, I don't know if you find this, Zoe, but probably I notice it more maybe sometimes with women, but I don't know if you've seen the work on Robin Dunbar and Dunbar's tribes. So Robin Dunbar is a social anthropologist and he looked at for those tribes that have survived versus those that have died out, like if you look at tribes in the Amazon versus Indigenous tribes, his question has been why have some died out and why have some survived? So he questioned the metrics. What are the numbers that have made these tribes survive through thousands of years? If you have a look on um, TEDx, I think he's done three or four TEDx talks now, uh, but his research identified what are called Dunbar's numbers. And he's written a book called How Many Friends Does One Person Need? And that number is 150. So for leaders and particularly female leaders, like that's sort of the amount of cognitive load we can handle <laughs> and relationships we can manage to maintain. And he said that that's sort of the ideal number of a, a tribe. Uh, but within that is uh, like the tribal leaders. So in other words, your board of directors, like the people around you who you trust, who have your best interests at heart, and those people help you to have a greater confidence and they also help you to, you know, they're different aspects to, to roles that they have. So the, I know Janine Garner in her book, her fantastic book, From Me to We, she does it in me to we or she does it in her other one um it's all right you keep going i'll look at i'll google it while you're so she talks about getting you know that board of directors around you so her number in her work says 12 she's got like the cheerleader the mentor the teacher the butt kicker the pit crew which i think is terrific the work that she's done there so i really encourage people because it's one thing to have a brand but seth godin he says that a tribe has a leader and a message and a way to communicate. So I always think of when you're building a brand or you're building your personal brand is essentially what you're saying is I'm prepared to be a leader. But the question is next, who do you lead? So starting to think about, okay, well, I, if I'm going to really lead, if I'm going to really step into that role, who are the people I need around me? So my board of directors, who are my advisors I'm having around me? And then also thinking about it in the wider spectrum, who are the people that are in my tribe who are the people that are my community that I'm going to lead because otherwise it's like oh well, I have a nice LinkedIn profile <laughs> like that's nice you know, it's not meaningful so that's you know that's just a document but then it's actually how do you create the message to have that ripple effect or how do you get because you're, you're trying to influence change you know essentially is what you're trying to do a person if you're building your personal brand you're, you're trying to lead change and you're a change agent really so how do you get that? So you have to work out, you only, there's only one of you, you only have so much bandwidth. So who are the people that really matter for you to be able to make the biggest difference? And I love that. It's like, yeah, it's nice to have a LinkedIn profile and the right jewellery and a, a good look. 
<laughs> but if you don't have a message and a purpose and a reason to get out of bed and to being service to others and start building those connections, then it's all for naught. It's all a theory. Um, Janine's book is called It's Who You Know. Oh, it's who you know, right? of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is, I think, I give that book out to all my clients in terms of building their support network as well. Um, one last question for you. I know you've been incredibly generous with your time today. Inner voice is part of personal brand. Where does that show up and how do you deal with that? Yeah, it comes up as a distraction. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real distraction. And I'm speaking from two angles, from you know just my own experience as well as working with the clients I work with. So I wasn't given, you know, I didn't get a piece of DNA chip that said you will be a personal branding expert um, I'm actually an introvert by trade and I, like I, I've spent most of my life helping other people build their brands it's just that I realized for me to do that better I had to build mine <laughs> um, so that inner voice I know I see clients with this and for me it was like the inner critic really who are you to say that you can do that uh, the imposter so there's plenty of other people out there that can do this why would people work with you when will people work out that you actually don't know what you're doing? There's a whole lot of that fear that comes in of maybe I'm just maybe I'm just not good enough. There's all the, and we go into comparison. It creates this you know cycle of self-talk that is not helpful. For those that I've worked with, you know, I often find if I'm working with them between sessions or if we're you know if it's a coaching program or something like that, there's those ones that are able to manage the inner voice or that inner critic that will distract them or if not distract them pay attention to shiny new objects and so oh maybe that's a good idea hey maybe we go that way and I oh wow okay so I think a big part of it is it's not turning it off because it's it, you know it's a natural mechanism but just to kind of go okay thanks <laughs> I'm okay but I'm going this way and uh you know just trying to stay stay focused so having a plan and getting the right again it comes back to the right people around you um, making sure that you stay focused because otherwise just that self-doubt creeps in and then you think oh well I've kind of gone this way so it hasn't worked so I'll go this way and then what happens we become distorted and then we don't know who we are we lose that sense of identity and then other people go I don't really get you I don't know how do I refer you I don't know how to how to bring opportunities your way I don't know what you're trying to do so that inner critic can create distraction and distill the brand and, and the value that you bring and lose time, lose confidence, all those types of things. So I, I don't know if you find that with your clients. Oh, yeah. We talk inner voice all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the work that you get them to do, which is around clarity, who you are, your values, your vision and purpose, that helps diminish the inner critic I call the gremlin, you know, the little one that tells you, you know, you're full of crap or whatever and it's unhelpful. And it's like, yeah, I hear you. I understand you're just trying to keep me safe. Not today, thanks. Uh, because we have a bigger purpose. We're in service to the world. It's not about, as you said, branding's not about us. It's about who we serve and the purpose that we're trying to achieve and I think when we circle back and anchor ourselves with that, then it makes, it makes all the self-doubt stuff come down a little bit. But I think we have to get into the practice of reminding ourselves of that. Because when we're doing the day-to-day -day grind of doing the blog posts and reaching out to people, and we can, we can get caught up in the gremlin voice as opposed to keeping that vision and that purpose front and center. Yeah, and even just that can be hard, you know, because you're going, oh, is this really what I want? Because it's bloody hard. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, just if you can keep, keep your vision, keep that purpose, 
And that's the beauty of because if you've got that tribe and you're keeping that community, then it's sustainable. You know, otherwise it's, you know, becomes fragmented. Cool. Uh, all right. Really last question. Have a favorite book that you're reading or have read lately? Oh, yes. Uh, good question. What am I reading? Oh, um, the one that I've been reading lately and it's a reread. So uh, it was a book that I read a few years ago and I've pulled it out again because it's what happens as we grow our context changes. So you hear things differently, don't you? Mm. And uh, so uh, I shared last week that uh, on my blog that I was reading The Challenger Sale. And, uh, the what? The Challenger, the Challenger sale? sale? Yeah. The Challenger Sale. Yeah. And okay. it's such a great book because, you know, one of the challenges I think that people have when, we, when you've got a personal brand, you're selling you. And that's really uncomfortable if you haven't done that before and it's a, a thing you're having to kind of learn. And what I love about the Challenger Sale book is it's all evidence-based and a whole bunch of research around people who are really good at building relationships versus people who were able to challenge people on the insights that they had about helping people. So they did this research on, you know how you say in sales that there's people who are really good at relationship building and you go, yep, they're good at staying in touch and all that sort of thing. But they did this research and looked at people who operate under a challenger sale, this methodology. And it's essentially what you would call insight selling. So instead of like, you know, solution selling, where if you're buying a computer, we see if you need the printer and do you need paper and that's a whole solution for you to go home. But the challenger sale is about almost like diagnostic selling. So when you did, uh, so Zoe came to the Expert to Influencer Masterclass just recently and what I did was, um, so over something called Expert to Influencer or this Influencer Indicator and we run the diagnostic so we get the person to answer a bunch of questions. There's only 12 questions because of the 12 skills. And out of that, we identify exactly where the gaps are. And like you said, so you can sequence where you spend your time, resources, and consciously choose what you need because now you've got the insight on what areas of your practice need to be built. So it's the same for a lot of people because otherwise what happens a lot of people, particularly if they've got their own practice, if they're operating on their personal brand, will say, oh, I need a Facebook ads expert. I need someone to help me do Facebook ads because I need more sales or I need more leads or and we go, okay, well, before you decide that, why don't you just fill out this questionnaire so we can see exactly what's going on because that may or may not be the right solution. So otherwise people are only making choices based on what they are consciously aware of. So there was um, an article that was in Harvard Business Review recently and it talked about, particularly if you're in the business-to-business world, is that uh, there was an argument years ago that people are becoming more informed or customers or clients are becoming more informed so they know more about what they want. So for those people who are experts and helping those people is that we're now disempowered, you know, these people know what they want so we just have to say, okay, whatever you want. But Harvard Business Review said that's not true, that's changed, is that in this world of disruption and constant change is people are more stressed and confused than ever. And they need people like us to find ways to help them and to get their insight because the first thing they need is they're in in confusion. So they need insight into what is going on. And so when they've got that insight, then they can make the choices that they need to make and they're more empowered and they're getting the right solution then. It's not the whole kit and caboodle. You don't necessarily need all that. Sometimes you just need that bit. 
So the challenger sale is has definitely, I guess, reinforced what I've been doing, but helping for me, helping people who have personally branded businesses and practices to help them become a bit more confident with uh, insight selling, building diagnostics and things like that. I'm very excited about this now. <laughs> so thank you for putting another shiny object in front of me. That's great. <laughs> Such a great book. It, like I reckon, you know, if you're in the business of sales, even if you had nothing else on your shelf, I reckon that's such a great book. Done. (laughs) Jane, thank you so much. You're sharing all your wisdom and insight about how we can show up and show our best facet to the world and be in better service to the people that we care about. So thank you. It's been extraordinary. Thank you. My pleasure. Wow, that episode was so full of juicy tidbits from the wonderful Jane Anderson. And if you're loving that, you're going to be loving this. This is my weekly blog. Every week I write an in-depth article full of practical tips on how to deal with the people stuff in leadership, you know, the real tough stuff. So if you go to my website, zoerouth.com, you'll find the People Stuff Toolkit, which is your key to getting a weekly update with all of my fantastic articles, if I do say so myself. All right, go there or check the show notes and there'll be a link to the toolkit right then and there. Thanks. Have a good one.